Quim City Productions welcomes you to Quim History, where we celebrate the badass babes and badly behaved femmes who've shaped our culture. Make sure to bring your worst behavior, because well-behaved Quims rarely make history. Hello! How's it going? It's going good. I guess we should introduce ourselves. I guess we should. We are Quim City Productions presenting Quim History, also known as a podcast about poorly behaved women through history, popular culture, mythology, all those things, all those things defined loosely, both genres and genders. We here at Quim City Productions understand that gender is a spectrum. We don't want to exclude anybody for not having a Quim of their own assigned at birth. Yeah, uh, that's not a requirement for womanhood. I think we recognize that. We definitely Um, recognize that. But also, considering the content we're going to discuss, that's a very flexible idea anyway. I mean, some of the most successful um, people in history and some of the fields we're going to talk about were not necessarily quim-assigned at birth individuals. Indeed. I feel like at this point I should probably intercede with what a quim actually is, although you might have picked that up if you are a discerning listener, which of course you are. A quim is a pussy. It's an antiquated term for a pussy. I love it. I spend most of my time in my imagination in Victorian England anyway, so. Okay, so is quim like, was it a yeah. derogatory term? It's, it's definitely derogatory. I mean, it's it's an anatomical, but it was used in the same way as. Like whore? whore? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're very comfortable with the word whore. We are. We think everyone should be. It is one of the many words we will be reclaiming in the course of this podcast. In the course of this podcast, we will probably veer toward a more sex worker-centric understanding of the world. It's, I feel, one of those things that is totally ubiquitous and yet completely ignored, which I think is a big motivation for the the individuals, the figures, no pun intended, that we'll be discussing in this. There is a reason they call it the oldest profession. It didn't used to be the most maligned profession, but here we are. It is now. Yeah, and when we say it is, and, and it's really like a very diverse sort of conversation, and, you know, what is considered sex work by generations and who identifies as a sex worker, all of those things change. You know, so we're going to try and put those things into context with each individual slash theme we kind of tackle. So to kind of discuss the what, our idea is to pick a figure. Yeah. To discuss, which we plan to research. I'm thinking we'll probably do like the divide and conquer of sources approach of this. And I think that that's important because as someone who is technically a quote unquote expert in a field, I don't really like the term expert. I saw someone's Instagram post, I'm sure, the other day saying that I'm not a whatever this Instagram account is known for expert, right? But again, as someone who's been through like higher education systems and everything, I feel as though once someone is an expert at something, they stop having the curiosity that makes 
people as successful as they are about learning about these things. I think the moment you accept that you're a quote-unquote an expert, you stop learning about it, and that's the beginning of stagnation in any way, shape, or form. Neither myself or Charlie are claimed to be experts on anything, but I definitely think that we will be able to contextualize these figures both from a historic perspective but also from our place as both dabblers and professionals of sex work as well as entertainers, which is a very important historic intersection of a lot of the people we're going to be talking about, especially since sex work is, after all, a performative endeavor. Yeah. Right? Definitely. I think this is probably a good time to tell you all who we are. Oh, who are we? <laughs> so I'm going to introduce you, Darby Fox. Okay. Uh, claiming you're not an expert. I believe... One of the definitions of expertise is having spent a thousand hours on a thing and being that you have a master's degree, Mm -hmm. I would say you can take the moniker of expert and run with it. I don't don't stagnate, please, because I love your mind. Thanks. But yes, uh, this is Darby Fox. Please tell me about yourself. Um, Well, I have a master's degree in history, American history, and I minor in public history. I'm the curator, archivist, slash collections person uh, for the Burlesque Hall of Fame Museum, the not no longer only Burlesque Museum, but the first one, the one that hosts what's considered the world's championships of burlesque, the one with its own historiography, so to speak. It's been around for over 60 years, started by actual strippers. Uh, exotic dancers. Then in addition to that, like my undergraduate was I got two degrees, one in political science, one in history, and I focused on not strippers, but religion, ironically enough, because I don't know, I thought I could explain the human condition by understanding society's need to define higher powers. And now I actually study higher powers. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think strippers have a higher power, but again, Biased. I definitely agree. I'm technically a expert in history, but one of the drawbacks of doing that is like fields and disciplines. It's it's sort of a way to think about something. So I will bring that to the table, which I think is you know valuable in terms of understanding the context and just recognizing the fact that we don't know shit about history. Everything you've read about how shit was in ancient Rome is pretty much somewhat mildly educated conjecture. Like we don't know, but of course. That doesn't make a good business model. So we have <laughs> higher degrees and the nepotism of academia, but that's, again, a whole other story. Yeah, and then aside from that, I also perform and have never independently paid my bills doing sex work, but I have done my fair share of sex work and worked with a lot of sex workers. Plus, I'm a Las Vegas native, and I've known, you know, from childhood, the the most fiscally capable single women were always sex workers of some type, though you just didn't talk about it, right? So I've... I've uh, being a precocious, slightly spectrum-y child, I was constantly, like, challenging things that I wasn't supposed to talk about while also being sent to religious schools. And, uh, yeah, here we are, 30-some-odd years later. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to introduce you so that you can introduce yourself. I'm sitting here with Charlie Quinn Starling while she's wearing Captain Spaulding <laughs> slash Harley Quinn makeup. Did you decide on Captain Quinn or Harley Spaulding? I actually didn't go with either of those because I feel like of all the Harley Quinn mashups that I've done in my 
years long now career as a Harley super fan, adult dressy upper cosplayer. Captain's Bolt thing is probably the most niche. I'm not expecting everyone to know who he is, really. So I went with Captain Quinn Spaulding, so they get both parts of his name, so he's an easy Google. That being said, go watch House of a Thousand Corpses and give your rest in pieces to Sid Haig. What a legend. Aww. I know. R.I.P. But yeah, I, I've been very impressed with how serious you can be when you're sat opposite a murderous clown. Yeah, which is funny. I don't know if I told you, I used to be severely colophobic oh, no. when I was younger. Yeah, which is, again, I wouldn't think clown when I think of Captain Smalding, but duh, that's of course what, what you know he is. Actually, doing my Pennywise act is kind of how I got over being colophobic, which colophobic is a fear of clowns for those who don't won't feel like Googling it. I don't know. <laughs> um, or how to spell it, because I'm a bad speller as well. But uh, yeah, I used to have a horrible fear of clowns, and now I do an act as Pennywise, and it has made it much more tolerable and kind of desensitized me to clowns, Absolutely. which is great. Well, me, I am Charlie Quinn's darling. I like to dress up. I'm in my 30s. I don't even care anymore. I would say my thousand hours have definitely been in entertainment. I've been a dancer since I was old enough to walk. Started my sort of formal ballet training around 10. That's when I started doing the, the professional exams rather than just going once a week with my school friends. Was very serious about it all. Applied for the Royal Ballet School when I was coming up to 16. That happened to be the summer that my boobs finally came in. I went from flat as a pancake to a 32D almost overnight. And yeah, I was told that I had the wrong body shape. Oh, it's great being a woman. So yeah, I didn't get into ballet school. Uh, what I did get into was a super fun musical theater program at a school called Arts Ed in London. For musical theater nerds, our patron was Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's my Ooh. that's my claim to <laughs> scholastic prestige, I suppose, in my field. I did not finish my degree. We're here talking about badly behaved women. I did not finish my degree because I was busy being one. After I left college with my tail between my legs, I dried out for a bit. I'm sure we'll get to those details later. And then I went away and performed on cruise ships for two and a half years. It was a lot of fun. I saw lots of places, did lots of things, and then landed back in London where I kind of decided I wanted to go more the subversive cabaret and burlesque route than musical theatre. I was never really one to be told what to do. My teachers at Arts Ed can attest to that. I feel like you told me before that you were kind of typecast anyway. Yeah, I was always typecast as the bitch or the sexy one. The whore. The whore. I you was whore. Always, I know. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I definitely lived up to it. And Went and saw a lot of things, did a lot of things, and people. And people. Mm-hmm. Um, no shame in that. No shame at all. I wish I could remember more of them. 
because I'm sure That's I had a wonderful so time. So I got into burlesque and I cut my teeth at a nightclub called The Box in Soho, Woo-hoo. which was pure hedonism. Believe everything you read about that place. It was fantastic. I did sign an NDA, so I can't tell you about all the rock stars and actors and wizards. Wizards, plural, that I hung out with at that club. It was marvelous. I think once I'm old, I'll write a book about it. Like once nobody is those people are to dead. Sue me, yeah. Cool. We'll have to have like a Quim City series because I've got a lot of like old Vegas showgirl stories too. That definitely. I mean, a lot of them have no shame. They're like, "No, I fucked Frank Sinatra. You didn't <laughs> fuck Frank Sinatra." But then there are other ones who are like, "Oh no, we were all such good girls." And when they're drunk, they are f- all the lies. Oh, they let rip. Are, yeah, they, they let rip. I'm sure a fun thing to do on this podcast at some point would be to bring in the lovely legend ladies that we have here in town. Oh, goodness. Yeah, they're all a blast, too. Yeah, they are. Well, and the good news is, is we have a treasure trove of people who might be versed in some of the subjects we're going to talk about, the individuals, and being that we're in the post-COVID world, everything can be done digitally, so we can have conversations with people all over the place. Exactly. Simultaneously. So, if you don't know who I am and you're listening to this, you might have noticed that I'm British. What? I am, I am. What? But I'm here, I'm in Las Vegas. I'll tell you how I am here in Las Vegas. I, uh, met... A phenomenal burlesque performer at the box in London called Julie Atlas Muse. Google her. Google the fuck out of her. Seriously. I like to call her my drag mother sometimes, but I, I'm sure she wouldn't approve. <laughs> That's a moniker you have to earn with that lady. She's amazing. Yeah, she brought back Sally Rand's bubble act and evolved that trick. Sally Rand, again, Google. Another women, woman we'll probably discuss yeah, at some we'll, point, we'll but you should Google her. We'll discuss her at length at some point. We actually share a birthday, which is nice. But yeah, Julie brought back the giant bubble dance and won Miss Exotic World with it, which is the big competition at the Burlesque Hall of Fame Weekend, which Darby did mention back Briefly. at the top of this episode. So yeah, she was the reigning queen of burlesque. Absolutely deservingly. 2006, yeah. And that act went into a show called Absinthe, and she toured Australia with it. And, uh, yeah, eventually the show opened at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. A few years down the line, she was not performing in Las Vegas because when it opened, she was on tour with Dirty Martini in France. Dirty Martini, again, we will Totally cover. someone to Google. So she she recommended me to Spiegel World, the company that run Absinthe, and I got to do a week-long workshop with her in New York, which is one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And at the end of that week, I had an audition with the big head honchos of Spiegel World, and they brought me over to Las Vegas to do the bubble dance, which is... It's pretty great. And yeah. I stayed. I've been here for six years now. It's the longest I've ever been anywhere. Well, Vegas is lucky to have you. I'm lucky to have you. I must admit, I never saw your bubble dance in Absinthe. I only ever saw you do 
the one-offs that you did for Melody's Under the Tent shows, yeah. which is the first time I saw you perform. Yeah. Yeah. I did my... You did Frosty the snow. Snowman. Yeah. Frosty the Snow Bitch. Frosty the Snow oh, Bitch. Frosty the Snow Ho. So that, that's my... That's my trip to Las Vegas, and I'm still here. I love it. It is a functional place to survive as a performer. It really is. Yeah. It has the opportunity of a city like London or New York. With the convenience of a suburb. Yeah. It's like if you were to drop Times Square in the middle of Phoenix, right? Yeah. You got one street that's international that funds this... Very American sprawl. Yeah. So big. Yeah. It's amazing. It is, it feels very much like uh, Cremlington, which is the town I grew up in, which is a suburb of Newcastle upon Tyne. Yeah. The is it shockingly conservative? Newcastle? No, no, oh. no, no, no. Uh, it's northeast, so it's very. Um, Labor Party. Oh, that's... It's very different than Vegas. Yeah. Vegas has a, a very bad history with things like unions and... Uh, the northeast where I am from was all coal, coal mining and shipbuilding, which was basically everything that was outsourced under Maggie Thatcher's... Yeah. Reign Ouch. of terror. <laughs> Ouch. So, yeah, we, we all have a, a big old working class chip on our shoulders. And we earned it. Yeah. One of one of my particular fields within history is as labor historian, and and outsourcing is very important. And the movement of populations in the last mm -hmm. century and a half, two centuries, it's actually very prevalent in what's going on in politics today, despite the fact that people want to pretend that it's not. Because yeah. we do live in a global economy, regardless of what anyone wants to say about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the internet's only reinforcing that. Sure is. Yeah. I think that we've given people a pretty good idea of what we're going to do on this particular podcast. Quim History uh, from Quim City Productions. We're also going to be doing Horrors on Horror. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so we may be jumping the gun a little bit, but we're introducing two podcasts as we discuss this right now. So Why the Horrors fuck on Horror is us watching and discussing horror films. In lingerie. In lingerie. Because that's how horrors watch horror movies. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The only reason I didn't put on, a, like, nicer clothes when you came over is because my hair is wet. And God knows I can't let my red hair destroy my nice clothes. I understand the struggles. I know. Fashion hair and colors. red hair. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that pretty much covers it. I think we've decided that our first subject is going to be Gypsy Rose Lee. She's the most uh, well-known burlesque performer. Also, history crossover. Theater crossover is actually what I meant to say because it's a Broadway musical Gypsy. Right? Yeah. The music of which was done by Stephen Sondheim, who, as a theater kid, I really enjoy Sondheim and his theories on musical theater. Mm -hmm. Speaking so, of uh, badly-behaved women and Stephen Sondheim, I saw Patti Lapone. I'm in company in London oh my just God. over a year ago, and she was fucking fantastic. We should talk about Patti Lapone. Yeah, we do. I saw her live here once. It was phenomenal. It wasn't in company 
which is just like my dream. Mm-hmm. Did they have, was that the revival they did with the female Bobby? Yes. Was it amazing? Yes. Bobby has been my dream role since I was like 14 and even heard of company. And of course, like now that's, that is a reality. Um, I hope yeah. little future weirdos like me are, are <laughs> yeah, the, very happy about it. The switches that they did, because they didn't switch the gender on every role. Obviously, mm-hmm. Patty still was Patty. Ladies Who Lunch will be her song forever, yeah. apart from Jinx Monsoon's version, which is really, really good. Amy became Jamie. Okay. And it was a gay wedding. Oh, okay. And it was just really, really lovely. That's a nice change. Yeah. Sorry, I just got a notification that Asshat is having sound problems. I feel like that's instant <laughs> karma, right? Yes, I feel he deserves it. <laughs> Anyway, if our plosives are too loud on this microphone, it's because <laughs> it's because my pop screen was borrowed by someone without my permission and left at a location. Mm-hmm. Because working isn't more difficult enough in the COVID burst. Gotta lose my equipment. <laughs> the the theater crossover with Gypsy will be fun. I mean, definitely a historic figure. But also, I think that it's good to start with a familiar figure for most people so they can kind of get a gauge of what we're doing here. Was there anything else I was supposed to say? Oh, my mission in life is getting women paid. <laughs> <laughs> Random notes. That is, that is, that does sum me up in a lot of ways. I'm constantly antagonizing women to ask for what they're worth and femmes in general. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, if you want to learn how to, to make sure you are t- getting the full value of your time, fucking sex workers are the ones who will tell you how to do it. They know the value of their time. They are sort of a microcosm of the oppression on femme peoples in modern culture. Yeah. So stop hating them and start listening to them because, believe it or not, they got it figured out. And you know what? <laughs> Fucking pay them for their time when they're telling you. Yes, exactly. Pay them for it. Go buy their books. Go buy their art. You know, support their success. Because they are, that is what it is. It's success. It's not fucking saviorism, y'all. Yeah. And on that note, (laughs) I guess we should go do some research so we yeah. can do this podcast great let's go read some stuff yay books <laughs> books are sexy books are so that's, sexy that's why I live in a library mm-hmm. <laughs> alright thank you Time. thank you everybody goodbye bye <laughs>